0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, it is still January, which means I have the January special report, and you have one more week to order it. The January special report is titled, Two Possible Outcomes. And the report talks about the fact that, from my perspective, the central bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, has painted itself into the proverbial corner as far as economic policy is concerned. And the bank has two choices moving ahead, and both choices are bad. Each choice will lead to a different potential outcome, in my view. I outline those in the report, and I give you some strategies to consider for your own individual financial situation. To get a copy of the January 2023 special report titled Two Possible Outcomes, as well as a copy of my best-selling revenue sourcing book and a copy of the best-selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization, as well as some other resources, just visit requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail this box of information, and I'll be glad to do so absolutely free and with no further obligation. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that it's been my view and the view of many of the guests that I interview that the U.S. economy, really since the financial crisis, has been fueled by central bank easy money and more recently, central bank easy money and government stimulus. Well, now that the Fed has started in 2022 this tightening cycle by, by increasing interest rates... And now that government stimulus money has pretty much uh, evaporated, we're now seeing signs that the economy is reverting back to reality. And it's my view that as the economy reverts back to reality, it's going to be painful. Now, one bit of evidence uh, I, I found this week in an article published by Wolf Richter And it dealt with the fact that delinquencies of subprime auto loans are now approaching all-time highs. In December, the subprime auto loans 60 days and over delinquency rate rose to 5.7%. That means about 6% of all subprime auto loans are more than 60 days delinquent. In other words, two payments behind, assuming that these borrowers need to make monthly payments, which is typically the case. Now, if you go back and take a look at August of 2019, that's about where we were then. Now, interestingly, at the peak of government stimulus, that subprime delinquency rate dropped to about 2.5%. Now, a subprime borrower is a borrower that doesn't have great credit. So it stands to reason that while government stimulus was floating around out there, that these borrowers could make their payments. Now, however, the government stimulus is no longer there. It makes sense that now we are reverting to reality. Now, Bill Holter, uh, who is a financial writer, and he writes a lot on the topic of precious metals, Provides another bit of evidence, or maybe I should say, provides a fact that I believe will create some economic headwinds moving ahead as well. He said last summer in an interview that Fed rate increases would tank the economy as we move back to what I would call reality. And as we've been talking about here on the program, you're starting to see signs that this is actually the case. The economy is starting to slow. I happen to believe that we're likely back in a recession at this point. Housing prices are starting to drop. House sales are down. Banks are now recording losses and talking about layoffs. Vehicle prices are falling. Uh, Part of the reason for that is that we're seeing uh, defaults uh, increase on these loans. Unemployment is rising. Now, Holter points out in his view, there is more than two quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives outstanding. Now, these derivatives are typically credit default swaps. They're side bets, if you will, between banks. They're they're basically insurance policies in which one bank will insure the portfolio of another bank, typically against a big change in interest rates. Now, unlike traditional insurance policies, which uh, an insurer would have to reserve for a claim, this entire market is unregulated. And Holter says there's two quadrillion worth, two quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives out there. Now, now if you compare that to the financial crisis, that's about eight times the derivative exp- of derivative exposure rather that existed at the time of the financial crisis so this can't possibly have a better outcome he points out that when derivatives go they go quickly he calls it a 48 hour event now he points out that all the big banks own these derivatives he has a bit of an off color analogy he said it's like one giant financial std and everybody is in bed together and everybody is infected so when these derivatives go it's going to affect everyone as i recently talked about in my headline roundup webinar there are more headwinds for the u.s dollar in that saudi arabia announced that it will now accept payment in currencies other than the u.s dollar So you have the makings here of more inflation. Now, Holter noted that it's his view that other Arab nations will follow. And that will be a huge hit to the artificial demand for the dollar. And many of you who are longtime listeners know the backstory. Back in 1973, Henry Kissinger and I believe the Treasury Secretary at the time put together an arrangement with Saudi Arabia that Saudi Arabia would export all their oil in US dollars in exchange for the US protecting Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia now is cozying up to other countries for their protection and they now just in the last couple of weeks have publicly announced that they will now accept payment in other currencies not just the US dollar. That will over the near term mean that there is less demand for U.S. dollars internationally. There are other options as far as currencies are concerned. If you want to trade with Saudi Arabia and other countries, that will likely mean these dollars that are being inventoried by other countries are going to come back to the U.S., and that will be a hugely inflationary event. And that brings me really to the topic of my January special report. And if you're just joining me, if you'd like to get a copy of the, the January special report titled Two Possible Outcomes, that outlines the two options the Federal Reserve has uh, moving ahead. Go ahead and visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send it out to you, along with all the bonus information. But the Fed really has a choice between saving the dollar or saving the financial system. And as Holter said, it's his view, and I would share this view, that they can't save everything. Something has to break. Holter went on to say this, quote, the best way to sum it up is the facade that we have lived our lives through is ending and will completely end. The reality, as we return to reality, those are my words, not Holter's, Holter says it's going to blow people's minds. He said the Fed has always, always feared a deflationary collapse where it can't inflate or reinflate the system. Credit is the foundation to the whole system. If credit cracks and credits collapse, it means the foundation collapses and thus the entire house. So, again, if you have not yet requested the January special report, I would encourage you to do that. It's titled Two Possible Outcomes. All you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you a copy of the report, along with a copy of the best selling revenue sourcing book, as well as the best selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security. I'll also include a couple of recent client newsletters as well. So, visit requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail that information. I'll be very glad to get it out to you. I will be back after these words with my special guest, Dr. Bob McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Stubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, Bob is the uh, probably one of the hardest working technical analysts in the business. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. The website, again, is technicalindicatorindex.com. And, uh, I've been a long-time follower of Bob's work. and. Uh, Bob, welcome back to the program. Always nice to catch up with you.
1: Uh, thanks, Dennis. Always great to be, be here with you and great to be back.
0: So, Bob, as we're sitting here and the first month of 2023 is drawing to a close, as hard as that is to believe already, give us your assessment of the U.S. economy. Are we in a recession? Are we headed there? What What's your take?
1: Well, I do believe we're in one, and I do believe we're going to go into a deeper one. And uh, I think that the problem is that the inflation rate, although they say, you know mainstream media has been been harping that, oh, we're in the right direction and so on, it's still over three times greater than the maximum target that the Federal Reserve has set for inflation. It came in over six percent. Their target maximum is two percent. We're a long ways from getting there, which I think means that the Federal Reserve will continue. It's a rising interest rate policy strategy for a lot longer and a lot higher than anybody may be thinking at this time. And the markets, you know, are kind of hoping that the worst is over. You can tell that they feel like the Fed has has accomplished their goal. It isn't anywhere near accomplished their goal. And one of the problems is the Fed can raise interest rates very, very high, and all they're doing is reducing aggregate demand. Uh, It just means people uh, have less money to spend on goods and services. Uh, They're going to have more financial hardship. Households are going to struggle more because interest rates are higher. The real problem with this inflation is not about aggregate demand. The real problem with this inflation is about aggregate supply. There is a shortage of supply of goods and services for what people need and want at this time.
0: So. Bob, I'd I'd like your take because I, you know, I interview a lot of people on the program, and uh, there seems to be—I won't say an even split, but an almost even uh, split—of those analysts and prognosticators that say that the Fed will stay the course; they'll continue to increase interest rates, uh, even though maybe it'll be a little bit more gradually than they have in the past. And then there is another group, and I would probably be leaning more towards this group that think as the recession intensifies. Uh, the Fed might throw in the towel on inflation and decide that the economy needs more stimulus, and they'll they'll reverse and go the other direction. Um, well, what's your take on on where the Fed might go if this uh, recession does indeed intensify from here?
1: Yeah, I guess I'm kind of straddling both sides. I think initially they'll start continue to raise interest rates and disappoint the markets, and it'll become evident that the recession's getting deeper. And at that point, the uh, the, uh, the recession will, will get pretty severe and then they will have to reverse eventually their policy, give up the inflation target uh, so much and, and go back to trying to, to stimulate the economy. But I think that period of time is pretty far off uh, unless we have an event, event very soon that would tank the market uh, and the economy. I think that uh, it'll be a gradual, continuous rise in interest rates longer and further than people wanted. The recession will become very evident, become very severe, and then they'll reverse. So I guess I'm kind of straddling both sides.
0: Yeah, fair enough. So, so when you look, Bob, at you know the, the U.S. economy, it's dependent on consumer spending, and you know inflation has certainly uh, d- robbed a lot of American households, particularly middle class households, of their discretionary income. Um, that doesn't you know, doesn't this inflation that we've seen and the prices, the price increases that we've seen? I mean, typically you don't give these prices back. hasn't
1: hasn't this damage that, that really inflation has done? Isn't a lot of it just permanent in your view? I do think it's permanent. I agree. I don't think you're going to see things drop in price ever again. Uh, you'll you'll see this maybe plateau out, and this will be the new base. But um, you know, I I agree with you. I think I think that this is a permanent damage here.
0: Well, I'm chatting today with Dr. Bob McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, so, so, Bob, let's, let's dig in a bit here. You know, I, I read an article this past week that it seems central banks around the world are now accumulating gold. Seems like they're maybe trying to get assets uh, on their balance sheets that may protect them from their own policies. Uh, what's your what's your opinion on that? And then uh, wh- where do you see precious metals markets going uh, as this inten- as this recession intensifies?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Um, what I see gold doing, it, it's it's stuck in a in a handle of a large gigantic uh, cup and handle pattern, which is a bullish pattern. It started back in two thousand twelve, the cup part of the pattern. It's now in the handle. It's been in the handle since. 2020, and it's just a, an oscillating up and down series of moves where it kind of ends up going nowhere. But the way these patterns work is once the gold price rises above out of the the handle, which it means above 2,100, then it'll explode higher, and this gold will explode higher. So some something the charts are telling us, and I believe the charts are the accumulation of all knowledge on the planet, all all set in pricing. Uh, I believe that gold will hedge substantially higher once we're out of the handle. But now this handle has been going on for almost three years, and so it, it's going to require some, possibly some patience before this breakout. But once it happens, they're going gold's going to go much higher. And it could mean there's going to be real trouble uh, uh, you know social politically, uh, throughout the geopolitically throughout the globe, if if that's the case because gold has been considered a safe haven. And uh, like you said, they're they're building up uh, inventories of it to back up currencies and so on. Uh, so so I do think that's headed much higher.
0: You know, Bob, when you look at uh, some of the things that are happening uh, around the globe, Saudi Arabia just very publicly announced that they were going to now consider selling their oil exports in currencies other than U.S. dollars. Uh, you know, if you if this uh, really is the beginning of the end of the petrodollar. Isn't that going to be, at least from a fundamental perspective, also very bullish for metals?
1: Yes, it will. And you know, that's what a lot of people think happened with the Iraq War 20 years ago was it was really about Iraq threatening to sell their dollar their their oil in in uh, non U.S. dollar uh, you know currencies, and uh, it led to war. Um, so that's that's a theory out there. I kind of think it might have been true. And if that's the case, if they're going to start selling oil outside of U.S. dollars, there might be a response from the United States, and it could mean a geopolitical uh, war.
0: So the, the the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, have very publicly announced also that they will be pursuing uh, their own currency to use in trade, at least amongst those countries. Uh, you know, there just seems to be this big move away from the U.S. dollar, uh, really, you know, in earnest since 2020. Uh, what are your charts telling you about the U.S. dollar?
1: Well, let's see. The U.S. dollar. I'm going to have to go pull my chart up here. Um, yeah. Okay, the dollar is is right now. It is uh, it's it, it's oversold. Now, the dollar is interesting because it is moves in the opposite direction to the S and P 500. It's short-term oversold, which means that it is, it is, is due for a, a little rally here, uh, more than a little rally. And uh, the S&P 500 should move in the opposite direction, so that means that's bearish for the stock market. But, uh, I mean, it's dropped from $115 a dollar down to almost 100 in the last, you know, few months. And uh, so it's due for a rebound. Um, but I do see it going much lower. Over the next uh, year, year and a half, uh, that it's going to track a, a wave two move down. Um, but short term, I think it could rally for for a while, and that would be coinciding with with a stock market drop.
0: And Bob, for listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the uh, the, the whole idea of the market moving in waves, which which I believe is uh, a theory put forth uh, by. Um, by Elliott. Uh, I believe it's called the Elliott Wave Theory. Correct me if I'm wrong, but could you just give our listeners just a bit of a crash course?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Elliot uh, created a, a theory of of a market movement where uh, stocks progress in five waves, and then they correct that progression in the opposite direction in three waves. That's an oversimplification, but that's basically it in a nutshell. And you just count the waves. You track them. And, uh, you know, when you see an impulsive move and in progression in a, in a particular mar- market instrument, you can count five waves almost every single time. That, and, it, and it goes, you know, very vertical. And then what happens is it reaches that fifth wave, the top of it, and then it, and it, it will consolidate or regress in the opposite direction. And usually three waves, it can be other uh, patterns, but for most part that. And then it, it hits the bottom of that three wave correction, and then it continues again in the progression it originally started in five and other ways. So that's that's it in a nutshell.
0: So, Bob, as the dollar uh, over the long term, according to your forecast, as the dollar weakens, uh, is there another currency that will be the beneficiary of this dollar weakening, or do you see the beneficiary being metals, or is it some of each?
1: The euro operates in opposite direction of the dollar. So Almost, I did a correlation analysis in my last weekend report, and it's almost tick for tick. It's amazing. So uh, the euro and the S&P 500 are moving in the same direction, and the dollar moves in the opposite direction of those two. So you'll kind of see a a give-and-take correlation on 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 those instruments, which is kind of interesting. And the uh, the euro right now is, uh, is overbought, so it's due to decline. And as is the SP 500's overbought. So it's it should be declining with the euro over the coming months. As far as gold correlation with the dollar, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be direct. I really don't. Um, it, there could be some breakoff. My concern with the dollar or with the gold is it's just stuck in this sideways pattern for three years of this handle. And, uh, It it just seems like there's a lot of forces at work that may even be manipulation that are just causing a tug of war. I would think that it should have been exploding higher by now with the inflation we had, with the over dollar uh, accumulation that that the the Fed printed off. Uh, And it has. It it should have exploded. It didn't. That tells me there's manipulation and the pattern talks about, you know, sideways move, lengthy sideways move in this handle. So it's, it's kind of where I lean toward the pattern the technical pattern for guidance. And, it, and I have to leave the fundamentals of it at this point in trying to figure out where it's headed next.
0: Well, you know, a few years ago, those of us that said there was a manipulation in the metals markets would have been uh, branded conspiracy theorists. But now, uh, you know, there's been a couple banks that have uh, actually, uh, you know, gotten caught with their with their hand in the proverbial cookie jar, so to speak. And <laughs> we, know, ma- we know manipulation does happen
1: and has happened and probably is still happening. Yeah, yeah, that's right especially metals. I mean, metals are, I don't know, it's, 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 strange. You know, they, some current, some nation wants to back up their currency with gold and China or somebody, and they start buying the crap out of it. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, that's a manipulation. It's just an over demand for, for a product that's got limited supply. And, uh, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of got a, a strange way about it at this time.
0: Well, my guest today is Dr. Bob McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. I'll continue my conversation with Bob when RLA LA radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure today of chatting with Dr. Robert McHugh. If you're just joining us, uh, Bob's website is technicalindicatorindex.com. Bob publishes an extremely extensive uh, daily and weekend report on the markets. Uh, I have followed his work for many years and uh, always enjoy catching up with him here on the program. And Bob, before we jump back in, I know you have a Platinum Trading program that I've been following a bit as well, and Frankly, I'm impressed. You want to share a little bit with the listeners as to what that's all about?
1: Well, thanks, Dennis. Yeah, what we have done is basically because our our subscribers wanted it, is a way to make an additional income stream off of the work that we do. You know, tracking where the markets are headed and and the projections and so on uh, that we have with our charts or indicators and and so on. And so we back in uh, 2011 we started a, an options trading program which also includes an ETF trading program we call it our Platinum Program, where we do investing uh, in options and, and, and ETFs to generate an additional income stream, and we share in real time what we're doing for ourselves with our customer base who, who become members of this program. And it's up to them whether they want to look at it as entertainment, whether they want to talk to their financial advisor and do something similar, or, or just look at it as education. And uh, we've been very successful. Ten, ten years, we've made a, a, almost a million dollars in the program um, through this uh, trading program. And uh, we're continuing to, uh, to operate it now, and uh, it's growing. People seem to like it, and we do our very best. Our success rate's about 75 to 80%. We do have some losses from time to time, but uh, so far it's been going pretty well. And it's a way, like I said, for people to, to try to get an additional income stream to whatever else they have going in their lives right now.
0: Well, great. Uh, And again, the website, technicalindicatorindex.com. So, Bob, when it comes to stocks, particularly U.S. stock markets, it seems that even after last year, uh, the majority of investors uh, seem to have a buy the dip mentality. They they believe that, uh, you know, the the Fed's not going to uh, quit supporting the markets. And, uh, you know, overall, correct me if I'm wrong, but overall sentiment still seems to be pretty bullish, despite a pretty miserable year last year. That usually means more downside for stocks. Uh, what, what say you?
1: Same thing. I agree with you 100%, Dennis. That's the way I see it. Sentiment should be more bearish. It has not been. The market fell for nine straight months from January through uh, the end of September. And uh, and then it's uh, that was a, a big wave down. And then it's been uh, correcting since uh, the end of September, early October through now. So you had nine months down. We have had four months up. Uh, the, over, the, the rallies from, from late October have been a lot of overlap. And that's one of your key signs that it's, uh, it's corrective. It's a lot of overlapping waves. It's probably extended a little longer than I thought it would, which means it's a larger degree correction than we originally might have thought. But uh, it's set up to, to decline. A very interesting thing uh, we came up with our charts. If you touch the tops of all the, uh, the rallies from last January through now, there's a beautiful, perfect trend line that touches every single one of these tops um, and, and it has stopped every single rally. So it's a very powerful resistance trend line going down. And what's interesting right now is that the market just recently touched that top again. And this is evident in the, in the uh, S&P 500, in the NASDAQ 100, and in the transit, transportation average. So we're reaching that point now where uh, there's a high risk, high probability of a top here and another decline in the short run. But we're at grand supercycle degree wave four. This thing, the the, the grand supercycle degree wave three topped last January year ago, and now we're in four. And four is a major decline. It's it's not it's not a shorty. It's bigger than the Great Depression. It's at a higher level of degree of trend. And so this is a very dangerous setup here, and the buying the dip mentality is, has been brainwashed because of the last ten years that the, the, that it is going to be successful, and it has been from time to time. But this is a different ball game, and at some point, very soon, we're going to see a grand, a, a wave, th- some intermediate degree wave three down within this grand super cycle degree four, and threes are the worst waves; they're the most dramatic. And so I, I'm looking for that to start not in the not-too-distant future, in the next several months.
0: Bob, when you, uh, there was a lot in that last comment, so uh, if I could, I'd like to go back and maybe uh, drill down on it a little bit. You, you used the term grand super cycle degree wave, and you said three just finished, we're now starting four. Can you explain to the listeners again what, what that means? What does grand super cycle degree wave mean?
1: And you're doing the your Elliott Wave work, you have what they call fractals. You have the largest degrees of trend that go back over several hundred years, and that's the Grand Super Cycles. The Grand Super Cycle Wave 3 started in the 1700s. It just ended a year ago. So the correction of that Grand Super Cycle 4 down will be a, a proportional decline. So it's going to be huge. The Great Depression was a degree lower. That was a super cycle degree back in the 20s of 1920s. That was a degree below the grand super cycle. That was a super cycle. So you have several levels of degrees within each degree that create what we call fractals or subsets within each degree. Think of it like a a tree with branches, and each branch has smaller branches, and each smaller branch has springs of, of even smaller branches. It's kind of that c- scenario. Well, now we're talking with a big major branch here. This is a biggie. And so what we've seen in the last 12 months is just a, a tip of the iceberg of where this thing is, is headed uh, based upon this this theory of, of uh, Elliott Wave analysis and based on pattern charts that I have. I mean, I have broadening uh, megaphone tops that have been going on for. for for a decade, for several decades, for, for, for 10 years, that are, are calling for a massive stock market decline that has not started yet. It's just basically beginning. And by the time it's ultimately done, we're going to see levels, you know, below what we saw back in 2008. Um, but, but that's kind of how it, it's, it's set up right now with patterns and Elliott Wave theory, two different theories, all saying the same thing.
0: Well, Bob, and that—that's a big statement because if we're going to see levels below what we saw uh, in 2008, I mean, f- from these levels, uh, just doing some math off the top of my head, we—you're—you're you're forecasting then maybe as much as like 80 or 90 percent more downside here. Is that—is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's that's what the charts are t- telling me. That's exactly right. Charts have been right. I mean, these patterns and charts are are almost always right. Yeah, they may be delayed a little bit further than what the original forecast might be, but. But they're right almost all the time. These patterns are very highly reliable. And, yeah, that's the target. Uh, and now what would cause that to happen? I don't know. Uh, Russia drops a nuclear bomb on Ukraine, uh, scares the crap out of everybody. We go to war with these countries that are going to leave the, the petrodollar and go to their other currencies for oil changes, exchanges, exchanges. Um, you know, some kind of uh, pandemic that we don't even know about that, that's greater than what we saw before. Who knows? But the charts are saying something's going to happen in the uh, in the in the world that's going to draw prices down dramatically over the coming years. Uh, you know, we're not talking weeks; we're talking years.
0: Well, Bob, when you look at uh, just worldwide debt levels, you know, fundamentally, your forecast certainly uh, uh, is backed up by fundamentals. I, I think I read uh, uh, some data that. Uh, at the time of the financial crisis, worldwide debt was a hundred trillion. It's now three hundred trillion. So, okay. I mean, the, the very problem that caused uh, a lot of the issues at the time of the Great Financial Crisis have just gotten worse. So, I mean, the next
1: bust really has to be worse. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's that's a good good fundamental economic reason for a a continuous major decline. Yeah.
0: So, Bob, uh, let's let's shift gears a minute because last year. You know, a lot of a lot of investors that owned U.S. government bonds, which you know were presumably very safe, uh, many of them lost a lot of money. What's your forecast for U.S. Treasuries moving ahead?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was the greatest decline in in the value of our, our Treasury notes and bonds ever. I believe, if I'm right, in one year. So um, it, it was caused by um, hyperinflation that's, that shocked the system and the Fed's aggressive action to try to, to uh, raise interest rates at historically fast, rapid levels and great levels. I believe that was also the highest ever that they used. And again, all they're doing is taking out aggregate demand. They're, the real problem is supply. The real problem is we, we have shortages. We can't get cars. We can't get houses. We Food is up. 50, 80 percent, the 6 percent they just reported is nonsense. Uh, Our electric bill just went up 50 percent, crying out loud. So, you know, but as far as the Treasury, uh, what we got here is there's going to be a point where uh, the Treasury uh, uh, yield reaches its peak because it'll happen when the recession, the deepness of the recession becomes evident. And then it's going to rally. And we're going to see a robust rally in the Treasury. And I have a converging fan trend line pattern that gives a target uh, right now that a U.S. Treasury tenure is at around 115. And this converging fan trend line pattern uh, has a target of 140, which would mean substantially lower interest rates. But that's not going to come until the recession has already wiped out a lot of wealth in this economy. So that's a later development maybe in two years, maybe in two and a, a year and a half. So I do eventually see interest rates dropping. Again, it's gonna be part of the correction or the, the fix that they try to put on for what the damage is being done right now to everybody's uh, household wealth, commercial wealth, uh, and the recession that's, that's building right now.
0: So as interest rates have come back up dramatically over the past 12 months, Bob, uh... You know, there's a lot of uh, CD investors, a lot of investors that like time deposits that, uh, you know, are, are finally seeing some interest rates that are a bit more attractive. Certainly, they're lagging inflation yet. Uh, but do, do you see more upside for, for those types of investors? Are we going to see higher interest rates before this reversal comes? Uh, what, what's your take?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The 10-year Treasury has not been rising in tandem with the short-term interest rate rise that the Fed has put through. There seemed to have been like a bottoming here. And I have a converging fan pattern that kind of indicated, yeah, it's it's bottomed. So I don't know if we're going to see the 10-year rally or rate rise, 10-year interest rate rise a whole lot more. Um, Because I think what's happening is the evidence of the recession is starting to kick in. Earnings for corporate, corporate earnings are dropping. Um, I don't hold out a lot of hope that CD rates are going to rise a whole lot more. Um, I think we might be close to a max here, um, but that doesn't mean everything's going to go great. The reason we're at a max is because everything's going to go poorly in the economy, and, and then we're going to see a, a flip in the, in the rates. But that's just what my charts are showing me uh, on, on the bonds and, rate and the treasury, 10-year treasury right now.
0: Well, my guest today has been Dr. Robert McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I would encourage you to check out his work. Uh, Bob, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Always appreciate your perspective, and uh, certainly appreciate your uh, your hard work as well. And I uh, love to have you back down the road.
1: Ah, oh, thanks, Dennis. I love uh, uh, speaking with you. Always uh, learn a lot myself from you, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing hearing back from you again and uh, being on your show. Thank you very much.
0: We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tuberg and your host, and thank you again to my special guest today, Dr. Robert McHugh, for joining us on today's program. Hey, if you're just joining me, it is the last opportunity for you to get the January 2023 special report titled Two Possible Outcomes. The report talks about the two options that the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, has, in my view. I believe as I talked about at the end of the first segment, uh, that the Fed will have an opportunity to preserve the purchasing power of the dollar, or they will have the opportunity to save the financial system and the economy, but it's unlikely that they can do both. So the report for January titled two possible outcomes will give you not only the detail relating to these two choices, but also some strategies for you to consider moving ahead. When you request the report, I'll be very glad to send you bonus information as well. All you need to do to request the report and all the bonus information is visit requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. You know, I wanna give you some information in this segment that if you have student loans and you're thinking about collecting social security, my guess is it might be news to you, and that's why I bring it up. Uh, There was an article published in Insurance Newsnet uh, this past week uh, that was very educational. And if you have student loan debt, maybe you were among those that were hopeful that your debt would be forgiven. Now, at this point, that seems rather unlikely. And the new reality as far as student loans is that if you carry student loan debt with you into retirement, your Social Security benefits can be reduced to pay back your loan. So this is essentially a garnishment of your Social Security benefits. So let me give you just a bit from this Insurance Newsnet article, uh, because again, it's my hunch that many of you are not familiar with this. While the promise of student loan debt relief seems to slip further out of reach, the prospects of the debt coming back to bite people in their retirement grows. That's because student loan debt delinquencies can be deducted from social security benefits to the tune of thousands of dollars per year. The number of debtors is rising along with delinquencies according to a recent study by Boston College's Center for Retirement Research, in fact, student loan delinquency rates have surpassed all other types of consumer debt delinquencies between 2012 and early 2020. That trend is accelerating. That means more Americans will see their Social Security benefits shrink. Now, if you're wondering how much they can take from your Social Security benefits to pay back your student loan, the withholding amount is the lesser of. 15% of the Social Security monthly benefit or the amount by which the benefit exceeds $750 a month. So, if you're collecting $2,000 a month from Social Security, $300 of that can go to pay back your student loan. Now, if you want to look at averages, the deduction across the board is an average of $2,500 annually. And it amounts to a 4% to 6% decrease in benefits, according to the study. And again, that study was conducted by Boston College's Center for Retirement Research. So here we have this period of time where we have inflation, and we also have a time that if someone is struggling to make ends meet, trying to make student loan payments, pay the rent, buy the groceries, buy prescriptions, maybe make a car payment, Now they could see their social security benefits shrink in order to make payments on their student loan. Now, most of the delinquencies on student loans are among younger borrowers. So it may be a while before this kicks in, but it's certainly something that you need to be aware of and it's certainly something that will be a bit of an economic headwind moving ahead. Now, Finally, this month, this is a bit off topic, but if you're planning a trip to Europe, I have some news for you. Summit News reported that as of January 24, a food additive made out of powdered crickets began appearing in foods from pizza to pasta to cereals across the European Union. And yes, I have verified a bit this. Defatted house crickets are on the menu for Europeans across the continent without the vast majority of them knowing that it's now in their food. Now, the European Commission ruling passed this, the European Commission rather, passed this ruling earlier this month, and I'm I'm quoting from the news article, as per the decision which cited the scientific opinion of the European Food Safety Authority, the additive is safe to use in a whole range of products, including but not limited to Cereal bars, biscuits, pizza, pasta based products, and whey powder. The article also says don't worry because the crickets first have to be checked to make sure they discard their bowel content before being frozen. Now the idea of eating crickets doesn't sound that great to me. I've used them as bait to go fishing, but I've never had the I've never been tempted to eat one. Now the European Union also recently approved the use of the lesser mealworm for human consumption. We can only hope that that doesn't show up here. At least that is my humble opinion. As I close this program, again, it's your last week to get my January special report titled Two Possible Outcomes. If you'd like to get a copy of the report as well as all the bonus information, just go to requestyourreport.com and I'll be glad to send you a box of information that I think you'll find to be useful. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week, and my special guest will be Dr. Charles Menner. Be sure to tune in.